0: Let's uh, turn to 2 Thessalonians. And uh, I think that uh, Paul put this in here. It seems like a strange uh, turn of events when he kind of goes from where we've been and now he starts talking to people, talking about them being disorderly. We'll talk about that word in a little bit because it means a little bit more than what it uh, is conveyed in English. And and then he kind of is saying here that while you're waiting on the Lord to return, go to work. Take care of your family. Provide for your own. Be generous. You know, those kind of things. And he set the example of all of that. And uh, now he is concerned because he sees some idleness or laziness that is going on in the church. And I wonder if uh, maybe... Uh, he is writing this because as he was there in Thessalonica, maybe he noticed and discerned some things about the people there that they had a tendency to just kind of coast. They were, they were looking more for comfort and luxury than they were anything else. And uh, that's just not going to cut it in the body of Christ. We are called to do whatever your hand, your hand finds to do. Do it with all your might, is in the Old Testament. And uh, as well as we are to do all things heartily as unto the Lord. We're not supposed to. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you ought to be a hard-working Sunday school teacher. And if you are a parent, you ought to be a hard-working Christian parent. And uh, all of these things that we do, we do for the glory of our King. Someone once said, if it bears His name, it's worth our best. And uh, we cannot just say, well, it's just the church, or it's just the Lord, or it doesn't matter. Everything with excellence and everything done uh, for His glory. And I say all that to say, I have noticed <coughs> over the years, more Christian testimonies and witness, uh, witnesses are destroyed at the workplace than probably about any other place. Because it's one thing to come in here and... And to say amen and to sing and to uh, put input in a Sunday school class. But what do you do when you go to work? Do you take your religion with you? Do you take your faith with you? Do you carry it with you like you do maybe uh, a lunch or something like that? Because it's important that our faith goes with us everywhere we go. Doesn't matter where it is. I've heard about people that um, make a big... Big thing about their Christian testimony at church, in Sunday school, at a men's meeting, at a ladies' meeting, or something like that, maybe even in front of their children, and then absolutely blow it when they're uh, playing church softball, for example, or when they're at a football game or something like that. It's so easy to just blow your witness and to lose your credibility. Well, that also happens when you are at work. I, uh, in college, I was able, my friend and I were able to get a job at a big grocery warehouse in Tulsa. And I worked on the maintenance crew there. And I worked with some of the laziest people I think I've ever seen in my life. And they always were looking for a place to hide. They would hide in the warehouse racks behind some of the uh, produce that was there. And they would sleep doing things like that, whatever they could do. Well, I hadn't been raised that way, and neither had my friend. And we had been given that job by a guy from our church. And so we wanted to do our best, and we wanted to work hard. And uh, I was raised that if you're paid for eight hours, you ought to give eight hours of work. And so that's what we tried to do. And we would get work done. We would get it done faster than other people. We would come back to the foreman, and uh, we would say, we need something else to do. And uh, there was one day I remember that uh, about four or five big, burly guys gathered around us and said, before we go to the warehouse, we want to talk to you. You're going to have to slow it down. You're making us look bad. And uh, they threatened us. And they made fun of us and all of that kind of stuff all during that summer. Tried to make our lives miserable. But that was because we had a work ethic. Now, sad to say, the guy that hired us, it was from our church... I can still recall about three guys on forklifts that were talking to us. And they said, how would you get this job anyway? This is a hard job to get. And I said, oh, well, we know Jim. And they said, well, how do you know Jim? And they said, we go to church with him. And the looks on those guys' faces when they said, what kind of church do you go to? I think a lot of testimonies are ruined because Christians are lazy because they don't have a good work ethic, because we act like the world, we adopt the philosophies of the world, and Paul has had just about enough of it, and it is also hurting people in the church. They were taking advantage of people, and so uh, it's something that we need to look at because all of us have to work. And so Paul says here, uh, but we commend you, command you, brethren... "...in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge." But worked with labor, that's a strong word, that doesn't mean he had an easy, cushy job, physical, manual labor, and toil, that just accentuates it, night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority or the right, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Wouldn't it be amazing And how much impact could we have if we didn't focus on, well, I have a right. And we said, no, I want to be an example like Paul was. Paul at other places and at other churches, he took a salary from them, so to speak, and was supported by them. And there's nothing that is wrong with that if the church is agreeable to it, if that is the terms under which the church has uh, agreed to operate. But in this situation, these people were coming along and they were demanding support, expecting support. And uh, it's almost like they would walk around at night after people got home from work and they would walk around and just uh, go down the block. And you know, they didn't have glass in their windows back then so they could smell what the food was. What do you feel like tonight? Huh? Hey, they're having pizza over there. No, nah, not in the mood for that. Well, there's chicken over there. Yeah, let's do that. I like chicken. She makes good chicken. And you just show up at supper time when times were hard, when it was hard to feed a family. But these people were going around just kind of demanding it. You owe it to us. Who were these people? Well, actually, we don't know. Some commentators act like they know, but it doesn't actually say. I think it's inferred that these were people who were so caught up in the second coming of Christ that they said, we can't possibly go to work, we're waiting for Jesus. So they'd put on their white robes, sit on top of a hill, sing praise songs, and then come and eat your food that you worked for because you didn't have that particular opportunity. Okay, maybe it was. But it very well could have been, maybe these were uh, people that had come from Jerusalem that claimed to be Uh, different types of ministers prophets evangelists pastor teachers whatever and they were coming in and they were basically saying i'm called of god to do this work you're called of god to support me have you ever noticed that the offerings in the new testament were always free will offerings they were never demanded by anybody and uh In fact, when Paul was at Macedonia, he had been taking up an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem, and the Macedonian Christians, Paul said they gave out of their poverty. Paul even tried to get them not to give, but they wouldn't have anything of it. See, that's a different situation. That's not what was happening in Thessalonica. These are people who expected to be supported. They expected to be fed. They expected to be taken care of. It's your job. Maybe they were claiming to be experts. I don't know about you. I am so tired of experts. You know, as a parent, you don't really know how to raise your child. You need an expert. Even though God gave the children to you and God gave you His Word and His Spirit to teach you how to raise your children, no, you can't really do it. Let let the teachers do it. They're experts. They're not the teacher's kids, But they're experts. You're not. You're just. And what is always the implication when somebody says I'm an expert? I'm an expert in counseling. I'm an expert in uh, science. I'm an expert in medicine. What does that imply? And you're not. You're not. You're kind of stupid. You don't know near as much as I do. So listen to me. You see, during this COVID thing, I got tired of hearing, trust the experts. You don't really know. Trust the experts. Follow the science. Yeah, that's another way of saying trust the experts. Well, maybe these are people that came down from Jerusalem or something like that. And they say, would you like to know more about the Lord and more about the ways of God? Uh, Yeah, we really would. Okay, we are the experts. And as a result of that, unlike the Apostle Paul, they began to put demands upon these people. You've got to take care of us. We've got bigger and better things to do other than you uh, peons, other than you people that are just part of the unwashed masses. We are the elite. We are the experts. Kind of sounds like the government, doesn't it? And uh, we have people in the government certainly like that, not all. And thankfully not all, but there are people, plenty of people like that. And uh, this demand that you owe us and you are to support us and um, they were just, well, Paul said they were disorderly in this. Now, when I was working at that same grocery warehouse, there was a a forklift operator. He was a Pentecostal guy named Smitty, we called him. And uh, there were two things when I think about Smitty that That bother me. First of all, he believed you could lose your salvation. He actually told me, I believe I could get saved, live a perfect life until I'm 80 years old and uh, have a lustful thought and have a heart attack and if I didn't get a chance to confess that sin before I died, I would go to hell. That's not a good way to live, is it? I feel sorry for people who believe and have uh, embraced a faulty theological system like that. The other thing about him is Uh, We were talking one time, and uh, you know, when he found out that we knew the Lord and knew uh, the Bible and that kind of thing, he liked talking about that stuff. And uh, on a break one time, he said, well, man, it's hot, because it would get hot in that warehouse. It was not air-conditioned or anything like that. And sometimes we'd be in boxcars that were pulled up by the thing. Have you ever been in a boxcar in a a 100-degree-plus Oklahoma summer day, uh, loading or unloading, you know, those kind of things? And uh, so anyway, we took a break, and uh, he said, wiping with a bandana, wiping his forehead, he goes, oh, if Eve only hadn't eaten that apple, we wouldn't have to be doing all this. I said, "Uh, what? And he said, well, you know, work is a curse, and it's uh, put upon us, and we wouldn't have to work if Eve hadn't eaten that apple. And so we talked a little bit, and I said, well, first of all, it doesn't say it was an apple. He goes, it doesn't? No, it doesn't. And secondly, work's not a curse. They worked before Adam sinned. They worked and tended the garden. They were put over it. The difference is work was a delight. Work was a joy. Work was fulfilling. And the environment cooperated with Adam as he tended things in the garden. But after um, his sin, the environment turned against him, didn't it? And uh, by the sweat of your brow, you'll earn your bread and that type of thing and so the point of all of that is that sin has made work tough sin has made work difficult and i still don't know uh i've been working like a dog those people must have never had a dog have you ever noticed how dogs work you know like that but uh Think about what it'll be like. I don't know what assignments we'll have in heaven, but it says in there, His servant shall serve Him. So you're going to have things to do. You're going to have responsibilities. You're going to have a job to do in heaven. But think about this. Nothing is going to go against you. Everything will be working for you. Your glorified body is going to work perfectly and never get tired uh, you're never going to get hungry you 're never going to be abused you 're never going to go through any of those things you're never going to have anybody stab you in the back or undermine you uh, It's going to be an absolute joy, but we 're not there yet, and you know most people would say obviously because it's in the workplace where we really find a lot of our battles and a lot of the things that go on. Uh, you hear language at the workplace that maybe you don't hear in uh, your normal. Uh, situation and maybe you've been tempted to join in every once in a while they so put into your brain that the next time something goes wrong or something happens you just kind of join in with everybody else and then you go why did i say that why did i do that maybe other people around you are like those people i work with they're lazy and so you go well if they're not going to work why should i work it all pays the same and uh, maybe there are some of you who have been tempted to go with the thing well i get paid by the hour And so uh, I don't need to hurry. I'll just slow down here and let the time go by and collect my check and then uh, move on. Uh, There are a lot of people that when they are are at work, I heard men uh, on construction sites as well as in this warehouse and other places that uh, if I had listened to them, I never would have gotten married because the way they would talk about their wives, they would shoot you if you talked about their dog in that way. Well, I've seen Christians kind of join in on some of this stuff. Maybe not as bad and maybe not to the same degree. But then they wonder why their prayers are ineffective. They wonder why their worship is cooled off. They wonder why God doesn't seem to be blessing them. And they wonder why their witness doesn't seem to be taken seriously. Well, I'll give you three guesses and the first two don't count. Uh, as to why that is. And so uh, all of this issue that Paul is seeing here in Thessalonica, there are some people that are working and doing what they're supposed to do, and there are other people that are just simply taking advantage of them. Now, understand, Paul is not talking about people who, listen carefully, who cannot work. I mean, after all, he traveled uh, most of that area taking up an offering for the poor believers in Jerusalem who couldn't work and were in the midst of a famine. He he told us to remember the poor on different occasions. So Paul is not a hard-hearted, you know, just die and decrease the surplus population, a little Christmas in June. Um, So what is the point here? It's for those who can and should be, are supposed to be. Work is a gift from God. The ability to work is a gift from God. And we are to do things heartily, all things heartily as unto the Lord. Now obviously... That's not happening. And some of these people that are working hard are suffering because they're having to give up their food, their livelihood that should be going to their children. They're having to give it to these other people, these maybe experts, maybe people who were messed up on the second coming. Maybe they were some of the Judaizers who came down from Jerusalem. Who knows? And so uh, we look at all of this and we go, man, that's just terrible that they would do something like that. And so uh, the scripture here, Paul gives us something here, and it's a little bit startling the way that he words it here, and this is the first point. Uh, this is a solemn command. Now, I want you to notice these words. But we, now, when you read that third word, there's no doubt. Is this a command? Is this an imperative? Is it, What is this? Uh, he tells us right here. But we command you, and who is he commanding? Brethren, not the government. The government's always going to be corrupt and all of those things that we uh, hate and despise. He's commanding brethren because Christians, so-called Christians, are not acting and they're not doing right. And then he uses this phrase, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where have we heard that before? That's a phrase that normally is used like in the book of Acts for addressing demons, isn't it? So Paul is looking at this whole thing as something that's got to be taken care of. It's not optional, and it's a spiritual problem. It's a moral problem. It's an ethical problem as much as it is anything else. When you find somebody who doesn't want to work, they don't want to support their family, there could be some reasons. They could be mentally ill. There could be maybe they're sick. Maybe they're disabled or something like that. That's a different issue. But when you find an able-bodied person who is content... Just the other day, there was a house in Oklahoma City where police rescued a couple of kids. And uh, inside, there were piles of trash and rotting food and uh, uh, dog manure. Uh, All in there. And those kids, there were maggots and all kinds of things. Okay, what is wrong in that situation? What, what in the world is going on if the parents are able-bodied people? It's more than just, well, let's just get them a new house. What will that house be like in just a matter of months? Well, let's just give them um, a whole lot of food and cleaning products so that they don't have to worry about these things. Well, if they're what I think they are, what do you suppose... It's going to be like in just a matter of weeks or months. You see, there's something wrong in their soul. And when you look at this whole situation, you think of it as being more of a spiritual problem than anything else. You know, the old Puritans used to say, cleanliness is next to godliness. And one of the things that was built into the fabric of America was the Puritan work ethic. You keep things up. You keep them clean. You keep them working. And when you work, you work hard. You work diligently. You don't slack off. You don't leave it for someone else to do. You take care of it yourself. And that Protestant work ethic, as it was called, is part of the key to America's success and ingenuity. But we don't hear much about that anymore. And over time, we become Lazier and lazier, more dependent upon other people. And uh, there's no sense, uh, there's not the same sense like there were in previous generations. Uh, My dad's generation, the idea of taking charity to him and to his uh, ancestors, uh, just something they could hardly stomach. And they would only do it in times of absolute necessity. Now it seems like people are just walking around with their hands out and that's not the way it's supposed to be for a brother and paul is so serious about it he calls it a command given to the brethren in the name of our lord jesus christ now what does that phrase mean you know we pray things and we say and i ask all these things in jesus name and it's almost like it's a formula some people act like it's uh that's putting the the stamp on the envelope so it'll get somewhere Uh, Actually, it has a deeper meaning than that. Have you ever watched an old movie where the cops are running after somebody and they say, stop in the name of the law. You know what they were saying? The law authorizes this. The law gives me the authority to tell you to stop. The law says stop. Paul is saying here, we command you, And we are commanding you with the authority of Jesus Christ. In the name of Christ means according to his will. That puts a different perspective on your praying. When you say we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, you are saying I'm praying this because I believe this lines up with the will of Jesus Christ. So, oh Lord, I'm so sick of my husband. I pray you would kill him and give me another one. And I ask this because I believe this to be the will of... mm. Can't do that, can I? That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We're lining our will up with His and we believe that it's His will. So you see what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, you know guys, it might be a little bit better if he's going, nope, I have a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is His will. Now, what what is he going to talk about after he makes that strong introductory statement? If you look at the second thing, he says to separate from these people. Well, we don't like that, do we? We want to talk about unity and we want to be loving and all of that. And yet the Word of God gives us a command here. What is that command? That you withdraw from every brother, not lost people, brother who walks disorderly. Now, the word disorderly is uh, the Greek word disorderly. Addictos, and it means an undisciplined, uh, irresponsible, idle, and lazy manner. So if you see somebody like that, Paul says, and they would have known what that word meant, uh, then you are to withdraw from them. You don't need to be hanging around them. You don't need to be supporting them. You don't need to be encouraging them. And you certainly don't need to be like them because it's hurting the church's testimony and he says not according to the tradition which you received from us now he'll tell us in just a moment what that tradition was and what he was expecting out of all of this but these are people that were just like ah uh, you know i don't need to really go to work today because uh so-and-so's got enough money you know jimmy hillis is a nice guy John Rawson is a nice guy. Chad Trench is a nice guy. People like that, you know, they'll, they'll, they, they won't let us starve. They won't let anything happen. And so Paul says, here, look, you can't, you've got to quit. Maybe here's a modern term for this. Quit being an enabler. Now, again, we're talking about able-bodied people who can work, but they just choose not to. We don't owe them anything. In fact, he'll say a little bit later that if you don't work, you don't eat. That is a pretty good incentive to go to work, isn't it? And thirdly, notice that he puts out before them what I'm calling just, it's a very simple challenge, and that is basically uh, get to work. Get to work. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your family. And he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us For we were not disorderly, remember what that word means, idle and irresponsible. We weren't that way among you, and nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, and that would be in addition uh, to their responsibilities in the church, night and day, why Uh, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Well, you have to admire that. You have to admire that. Now, Paul is going to tell us in the next verse that uh, he didn't have to live that way and he could have taken from the people, from the church, but he didn't. And he didn't do that because he didn't want to be a burden to anyone else. Uh, There are, I don't know how many, bivocational pastors and staff members ...in our Southern Baptist Convention... ...but there are a lot of them... ...and their churches cannot afford... ...it would be a hardship on the people... To hire them full time and they say, it doesn't matter whether you pay me or not. This is my calling and I'm going to fulfill my calling regardless of the salary. And if I have to work extra to supplement it, I will do so. But the main thing is not that I live well and not that you pay me well. The main thing is that God is honored and glorified and the people are ministered to. And so Paul would go into place after place after place. Some of them could support him and he was grateful for that support. Some of them could not and he was a tent maker and he would make tents not out of canvas but out of animal hides, a lot of work involved in all of that and he would sell those in order to make money so that he could do the ministry. In other words, the ministry seemed to matter to him more than the money unlike certain TV stations and certain people you see on TV where the money seems to be the most important thing. uh, Of course, they're, they're doing that so you will be blessed, aren't they? Hmm. But Paul was just completely different. and He would go through prison stints. He would go through shipwrecks, beatings, all kinds of things, running for his life, For the sake of the elect, he said, I endure all of these things. Why? Because ministry was more important to him. And so when he would do these things, he said, I'm doing this as an example. Apparently, he saw a problem in Thessalonica, and he knew we've got to strategize, we've got to work, or these people would get the idea that you just get saved, and then you just sponge off of everybody else. And so... uh, There's what his strategy is. We are supposed to work. Christians are supposed to be workers. And we're to do everything we do heartily as unto the Lord. Number four. There's supposed to be sincerity in caring. Everybody in a church says, I love you. But this is supposed to be sincere. Now, how is sincerity shown in loving other people? Uh, It's shown by meeting needs, isn't it? Uh, The Bible tells us that if you see a brother and they're hungry and they're cold and you say, ah, be warmed and filled, God bless you, and then you go on off, then how does the love of God abide in you? What we're supposed to do is to meet those needs so that the love of God can be physically seen and uh, then God gets glory. Let your light shine before men so that others see your good works. And then they don't just praise you, they glorify your Father which is in heaven. And when Paul said, I love you and I care about you, he meant it. And he knew that the Thessalonian church was maybe because of their size or maybe because of the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, economic demographic that made up the congregation. He looked at that and he said uh, to his team, uh, we can't We can't do this. These people are struggling as it is, and we've got to minister to them. And somebody might have said, well, let's go over here to Corinth. They have a lot of money. Paul would say, no, we're called here. This is the place we're supposed to minister. We're called to minister in the hard places. We're called to minister in the difficult places. We're called to minister to the people who need it the most. Let's get busy. And so they opened up a tent-making shop, and they would work, and they would work hard so they could support themselves during this time and not be a burden to any of the people. Now, when I look at that, I go, well, Paul really did love these people. He loved them enough to say, I'm not going anywhere. He loved them enough to say, I will stay here as long as I can. Now, persecution ran him out of Thessalonica, but while he was there, he worked for his own food so that he didn't have to put a hardship on them because they could not afford it. And it was incomplete, sincerity now uh, he says in here not because we do not have authority but to make ourselves here it is an example Uh, I mentioned this earlier how much would change if we quit thinking about what we deserve and our rights and we started thinking about what kind of an example we could be and people that are good examples they do like Christ did in Philippians 2 they lay aside and lay a uh, uh, lay down rights and privileges in order to minister to other people and that's what we are called to do. No personal rights, remember that. And so Paul said we wanted to be an example. He saw this laziness. If you uh, want examples of uh, you know, how Paul could have taken a salary, uh, so to speak, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 speaks of this and 2nd uh, Corinthians chapter 11 and 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 and he was always grateful for what the people would give to him but he never took that as his right that he had to demand and so uh, let's just kind of wrap it up here and let's think about this these people were obviously they were idle and at times during their time idleness when they should have been working they were kind of being busy bodies they always had their ear up listening to a conversation or the latest gossip and going from house to house and place to place to do that the bible never commands us to be idle even if you're retired let me encourage you don't be idle maybe have an encore career or a hobby or something like that but don't be idle first timothy chapter 5 verse 8 says But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. That's what was happening in Thessalonica. And uh, these people were hurting the church's reputation. You can think about people out there that were industrious that were running businesses that were working hard, and then they saw the Christians coming by and uh you know could you could you spare a few oranges? Could you spare a loaf of bread could you you know I'm a Christian, and I'm waiting for Jesus to return and I'm just humble and could you spare that well, it's hurting the church's reputation. People were saying that the church is nothing but a bunch of beggars, their God can't even take care of them Colossians four five and six says Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You've got to be careful how you present yourself. We don't want the world to ever think we need them to finance the church. Our God is able to take care of us through the offerings of His people. We don't need the lost world to back us up. Be careful. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And uh, let your speech always be gracious Seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so many times we find ourselves kind of hamstrung and tongue-tied because we haven't been living right and we don't have credibility in front of the world they don't they they would look at us and they go you don't really believe that because you don't act like it you don't really pour your life into it you're haphazard about it you're always looking for what's comfortable and you really have never sold out to Jesus Christ well if that's the case they have every reason to question it Uh, also these people needed church discipline that unheard of thing that we don't ever want to do that would be so unloving this is a command And uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 14 and 15 says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. There's that word we don't like today. Don't shame me. Well, Paul said in this, there are some things that are supposed to happen where you should be ashamed if you call yourself a child of God. But then he adds this to temper it. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. You love your brother? Yeah, then you'll warn him. Then you'll follow through on this. If not, you'll just let him go and continue on with it. It's what Paul's point is. And consider this too. We should follow people who are givers. I think what was happening here is that the, the rank and file of the church were starting to be swayed by these Lazy people. Well, they don't work, and they wear better clothes than I do. Well, they don't work, and they have a pot belly, and my kids are skin and bones. What's going on? And so we need to follow the the right people. Second Corinthians chapter eight verse one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. We wouldn't expect those kind of people to be generous. But they were. Generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Now there's the key. In Thessalonica, people were being demanded to give and hounded to give, pressured to give. In Macedonia, they gave, yeah, it was out of their poverty, probably more than they could afford. But notice it was of their own accord. And then he says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You know what Paul is saying? It was overwhelming what they did. And they had every reason not to give. We tried to get them not to give. No, you need this more than I do. And yet they gave it anyway because they had given themselves first to the Lord. Boy, if you give yourselves to the Lord, that solves the whole problem of giving. You don't have to legislate it or push it or force it or anything like that, do you? And then understand this. We should do everything with excellence and intensity, not haphazardly for the Lord. Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, all for God's glory and to benefit others. Paul is saying the way we ought to live our lives, not to be takers, not to be lazy, not where people can point our fingers at us and say, Well, Jesus must not matter to you. Your brothers and sisters must not matter to you. Or you wouldn't live that way. We live in a way where we can work hard. We can show the glory of God. The way he made us. And our love for God. Because we're doing it for the Lord. And then we also are generous because we give. Not because we're forced to. Not because we're pressured to. But we give as the Macedonians did. Of our own accord. We do it because we want to. We do it because we love. We do it because we're sincere. And so Paul said... Quit following after the people that are lazy. Follow after the people that are industrious. Follow after the people that are generous. Follow after the people that are holy. Follow after the people that really are doing the work. And that's how you get blessed. And that's how God is glorified in that. But notice when we read about the Macedonians, they gave themselves to the Lord first. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever, ever given yourself to the Lord to know that he is God and to know that he as God in human flesh came to earth and took the nails of the cross. But more than that, he took the punishment of God. The wrath of God was satisfied. We sang that earlier. The wrath of God poured out on the innocent son of God so that you could have your sins paid for. Have you ever surrendered and submitted to him as the risen Lord of all? And said, I will follow you and I'll be what you want me to be. Too many people claiming to be Christian, but they're not Christ-like. And Paul is calling on the Thessalonian believers here. Don't just let it be talk. Don't just let it be the testimony of your lips. Let it be the pattern of your life. And if you're not sure what to do, follow me. We gave you an example of what's supposed to happen. Quit following the wrong people. And too many churches today, too many people in the church, they're following after the wrong people instead of following after the right people, the godly people. Well, that's old-fashioned. We don't need that anymore. And on and on it goes. No, we need it more than ever before. So if you've never given your life to the Lord and you've never followed Him, I ask you today, will you consider doing that? And uh, trust the Lord and become a believer in Jesus Christ, to be born again. And let His Spirit rule in you. And for Christians, consider this. Are you more holy at church than you are at home? Are you more holy at church than you are in the neighborhood? Are you more holy at work uh, at church than you are at work? And something's wrong. We're supposed to be consistent in all of that because all of it. We come to church for the Lord. We raise our families for the Lord. We go to work for the Lord. All for His glory and the salvation of, of souls, okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's obvious we as Christians are just not making much impact on the world. There's a lot of us, probably more of us than we think there are, and yet we're not making much impact. And could it be, Lord, because when we get out of the church, when we get out of the religious settings... We look like everybody else. We talk like everybody else. We think like everybody else. We follow along like everybody else. Help us to quit that. Help us to quit following man and to start following you. Help us to follow the example of Jesus, the example of Paul, to follow what the Word of God says and forgive us when we don't do that. We look for comfort. We look for ease. We look for the path of least resistance when we need to be engaged in the battle. Help us, Lord, please. We fall so short of the glory of God. We pray that you would save those that are lost, and we pray that those that are saved would look like it, live like it, act like it, believe like it, and that we would go to battle for the glory of God with the full armor of God on in a way that we are salt and light in a lost and dying world. We can be effective, and we pray all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.